Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig with details. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff. From HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Bullett, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Hey, McFly, you bojo. Those boards don't work on water unless you got power. <laughs> so uh, let's go uh, straight into a little listener mail. This listener mail comes from Jeremy. Jeremy says, Hi, my name is Jeremy, and I am a big fan of the show. After listening to the one on plasma waste converters, I'm baffled as to why we have not fully embraced this amazing technology. I was wondering if you guys could do a show on something called a bloom box. I don't know a lot about it, but I think it's about the size of an ice chest and can power a home running off of natural gas. It seemed almost too good to be true. Hopefully you can talk about it and keep up the good work. Thanks. Well, thank you, Jeremy. We've decided we're going to start a new series yes um, not a new podcast but a new series within our podcasts 
Because we like to do that. This was uh, uh, suggested by Mr. Paulette himself. Indeed. It's uh, demystifying the blank. So in this case, we're demystifying the bloom box. Awesome. Um, For a second there, I thought we were playing match game. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we were playing a, a uh, puzzle game, computer puzzle game, graphically driven. We were demystifying the bloom box. So the bloom box. Yes, uh, actually, uh, bloom box is. Have you, did you go to Bloom Energy's website? Yes, I did. Yeah. So and um, I, I printed out the data sheet, which is apparently printed on recycled paper because it says that when I printed it on it. Wow. I thought that was funny that they included it. Anyway, so yes. wait, it's printed on recycled paper. Like, yeah, they they put it on the thing. But how how anyway. do they know? I know it's it's amazing. These guys are fantastic. <laughs> okay, but no, they uh, this has been something that's in the news. I actually wrote a blog post about it a, mm-hmm. a few months ago um, because uh, they they sort of hit the seam at the right time. As a matter of fact, there was a a thing on sixty minutes, the, yeah. the TV news show here in America, yep, um, about it not too long before I wrote that, and it's sort of been a buzzworthy topic. But in a way, it's kind of not new. Yeah. Um, first of all, let's let's go ahead and say that that. Bloom Energy refers to them as Bloom Energy servers. Yes. They're not uh, Bloom boxes, uh, at least not on the website. I didn't see a, a direct reference to Bloom Box from their corporate message. It, that was sort of the media name I saw. Yeah, I think people have, it's sort of like the Wiimote, as you are uh, uh, want to call the Wii Remote by Nintendo. They, Nintendo put the kibosh on calling it the Wiimote before its actual release, but people still call it that anyway, especially Jonathan. They probably felt wee morse about it. Oh. So anyway, yes, Bloom Energy calls the uh, the device the energy server, and there are a couple of different varieties. The one that, that you were talking about, uh, Jeremy, is not the one that they've already released and is in use by people. What they uh, the, the data sheet I downloaded is for the corporate version, which is the ES5000 energy server, and it is a much larger device. actually takes up uh, reportedly about the size of a parking space. Uh, yeah. Hopefully it's not the one parked in the CEO slot. It weighs approximately <laughs> 10 tons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is a, a hefty piece of machinery. Yes, it does, in fact, run on natural gas, uh, although it can use other biogas. Um, it does require some water, about 120 gallons of water for startup. Yep. Um, it can output about 100 kilowatts, which is pretty significant. Yep. Um, and that could be used to power several homes. Yep. As well. So, um, oh, I'm sorry, you're still giving some specs. Well, I was looking for anything else that uh, that folks might be interested in. And I would encourage you, if you're really interested in, in the Bloom Box, to, to download this data sheet because they really made it very easy to, uh, to understand. It can operate in a grid, which is interesting, too, because for large buildings, like, for example, warehouses, where you might need a whole lot of power, or data centers... Yeah. Uh, for example, where you need lots of air conditioning to cool the computers inside, um, you can operate them in, in a in a grid. Uh, you can have your own local grid, if you will, to power your industrial applications. Yeah, and that was sort of the the big news about the Bloombox was that um, this this was a device that could theoretically allow people to get off the power grid entirely and power their own homes with this little people were calling it like essentially a portable power plant yes or a a pint sized power plant um it's a little more complicated than that mm-hmm. uh chris said that the idea itself was pretty old 
That's because the idea of the bloom box is essentially it's a uh, fuel cell, or yes. it's really a stack of fuel cells. Yes. Um, it's sort of like a battery. We didn't really discuss this in our batteries podcast, but a battery is a group. The cell, individual cell, a battery is made up of, you know, can be made up of several cells. Yes, which yes. is um, So in this case, yes, it is like that in which it's got several cells inside. Yeah, so... Uh, fuel cells and batteries share a lot in common. Mm-hmm. All right, They both use chemical reactions to generate electricity. However, with a battery, what you get is, generally speaking, you have uh, this chemical reaction that takes place with inside, the, inside the battery, generates the electricity, and eventually the chemicals run out inside the battery. They convert into inert uh, chemicals, at least as far as electricity is concerned. Right, and and as far as even the rechargeable batteries yeah. have a limited lifespan. There's only so many times you can put it through a charge cycle. Uh, you know, you charge you it, discharge it, and it's it's eventually yeah. the chemicals inside are going to wear out, and you will have to recycle the battery. Yeah. Now, a fuel cell is well. This is where the word fuel comes in. You mm-hmm. actually have to fuel it. You put fuel into the fuel cell. It will use a chemical reaction to generate electricity, but eventually that fuel will run out, and you will have to replenish it. Yes. Uh, now, the fuel cells that a lot of us are familiar with are hydrogen-based fuel cells. That's the yes. kind that you hear of for hydrogen-powered vehicles. Yes, and for uh, for other devices, too. Yes. I mean, we've we've talked about portable fuel cells, yep. which can run on, on hydrogen and other uh, fuels. And, of course, the, the big um, draw of hydrogen-based fuel cells is that the only uh, emissions they create are uh, heat and water, mm-hmm. or water vapor. Um, the fuel cell of the bloom box is slightly different. It is it is not a hydrogen-based fuel cell. No. It uh, It's actually a kind of fuel cell. It's called a, a solid oxide fuel cell. If yes. You, if you've listened to our fuel cell podcast, you probably remember that we did talk a little bit about solid oxide fuel cells. Mm-hmm. Uh, solid oxide fuel cells are, well, they're problematic. They, mm-hmm. they can... They can uh, pr- produce a lot of energy. Um, they have that that potential, but they have to operate at high temperatures. Yes. Uh, in order to, you know, most fuel cells have a range of temperatures at which they can operate, um, and then outside that range, they start to the efficiency starts to decline. Right. And then you get a certain temperature where it just drops off, and the fuel cell is not going to work. For solid oxide fuel cells, that temperature is quite high. Um, so that was a big problem is that how do you create a, uh, a some sort of facility or some sort of device that can get energy out of a solid oxide fuel cell um, without having to require too much energy to get it heated up or make it dangerous for humans to be around? Mm-hmm. And Bloom Energy says that they've cracked that nut. Yes. Uh, it still operates at a pretty high temperature mm-hmm. but it's not at the you know incredibly high temperatures that other pre earlier solid oxide fuel cells used right and um it's kind of interesting the if you were to first of all i guess we should kind of describe what a bloom box looks like okay it looks like a it looks like a big kind of uh industrial sized refrigerator kind of yeah you know now if you were to open up that refrigerator and take a look at what was inside it chiefly what you would see would be stacks of tiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, these tiles are ceramic tiles. Yes. And they are coated with two different, what what Bloom Energy calls inks. Yes. A mm-hmm. green ink and a black ink. Yes. And uh, it's interesting because that's actually the anode and the cathode. Aha. Uh-huh. Which, if you listen to our battery episode, you've heard those terms before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
Bloom Energy actually has a cute little uh, animation. Did you see that? The, yeah. How it works? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's actually pretty helpful. So if you go to Bloom Energy, you can watch this animation. But essentially the way it works is that the Bloom Box has to heat up. Mm-hmm. Once the temperature reaches a certain point, it starts to draw oxygen in, which is attracted to the cathode side of these tiles. Right. Uh, which is the black ink side. Right. Um, then you have to pump fuel into the the bloom box. That fuel will mix with steam mm-hmm. to become this reformed fuel, which will get attracted to the anode side. The uh, oxygen from the cathode side will become ions. That means they lose their electrons. Right. And the electrons, that that's what ends up being the electricity. That's the electricity that flows out of the, the bloom box into your home or your business or whatever. And that oxygen will recombine with the reformed fuel to form water and carbon dioxide, a little bit of carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. Essentially, I think it was like one part carbon dioxide to three parts water. The water would then become the steam used in that uh, in that that fuel, uh, the re- creating the reformed fuel. That's what you know. That that water would just become steam again. More fuel would come in, and that would become the reformed fuel. Right. Uh, and the heat generated from this chemical reaction would help sustain the bloom box, which is uh, so the 120 gallons of water that you talked about at startup. Right. That's what you need because you haven't started the chemical reaction yet. Yes. So you have to have some water to to get this started, and then once it's started, it should perpetuate itself as long as there's more fuel coming into the system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's important to remember. You have to have fuel for this to work. If you don't have fuel, then uh, then nothing happens. So right. um, if you're using natural gas or biogas, whatever, uh, to fuel it, then the only emissions you get are water and carbon dioxide and heat. And the reason for that is because there's no combust- combustion taking place. Right. It's right. not igniting the fuel. It's There's a chemical reaction. Right. And that's why it's so much cleaner, even though it's a, a fossil fuel. You know, it's not like you were burning coal yeah. to achieve, you know, the the uh, generation of power. So you you still have a carbon footprint, but it's much smaller than using traditional coal-based power. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why uh, the the Bloom Energy server is such a hot topic, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, is is that it? seems to be a much greener source of electricity than, you know, uh, than other sources of electricity. And the thing is, too, um, it seems to be uh, the, you know, the thing that we have all been striving for since fuel cells were created more than 100 years ago at this point. Yeah. I mean, uh, another point that that Bloom likes to make is the fact that uh, older fuel cell Technologies required hard to find and expensive metals. Yes, to run where Bloom Energy is essentially using sand. Yeah, they're creating ceramic from sand. Rather plentiful. Yes, and yes. inexpensive. No shortage of that. Yes. Um, the Sahara is missing several refrigerator-sized vents uh, <laughs> of sand. I figured they just went down to the local hardware store and you know, picked up a few things of playground sand and. Yeah, that's probably it. Anyway, no, um, <laughs> but no, I mean, assuming, and of course, it's one of those things like hydrogen fuel cells in cars. Right. You know, people, people were so excited about that. Like, oh, this is, this is great. It's just, you know, water vapor. And it will, and in five years, we'll all be driving these cars powered by hydrogen. Well, it's not, 
that easy because you have to find the source of the hydrogen, right. which is extremely challenging to do on a cost-effective basis. There's actually three main challenges. One is that you have to find that hydrogen, yes. or you have to purify it. Uh -huh. So that requires energy just mm -hmm. going into it. The second is that... Uh, the precious metals that you referred to, yes. many of these fuel cells require platinum, which mm -hmm. is not very plentiful. Nor and, is uh, it in inexpensive. It's quite expensive. And the third is the the fact that there's no real infrastructure to support a fleet of hydrogen-powered vehicles. Right. You can't pick up uh, another tank of hydrogen at your local fill-up station. Yeah. Not for most of them, anyway. Yeah. There are a few hydrogen stations, but they're very few and far between. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to build out that infrastructure. You have to find a, a, a maybe not cheap, but at least financially reasonable way of getting at hydrogen. And you have to find a way to um, create electrolytes that don't necessarily rely on on uh, precious metals. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's interesting that the ceramic tile itself acts as the electrolyte. Yes. Uh, the, the ink acts as the anode and cathode and the ceramic tile is the electrolyte. That's, to me, I think that's the real breakthrough. And they used um, metal plates to separate the various tiles from one another, but they were really cheap metal alloys. They didn't need it because this was just a separator. It wasn't an electrolyte, so they didn't mm -hmm. have to get like a platinum sheet. Uh, that being said, these energy servers are not cheap. No, but they're not they're not so exorbitantly expensive that companies have not been installing them. I've seen a cost I've I've seen a couple price points for these energy servers, the lowest being eight hundred thousand yeah. American dollars. I've seen I've seen seven hundred to eight hundred thousand dollars. although I've also seen reports that they are more than a million dollars each. Well so I've also heard that within Within around five years, they pay for themselves from energy savings. That's the other thing we should point out is it's not just that it's a greener technology, but it's also cheaper depending upon fuel prices. Yes. Because remember, you do have an ongoing expense. You have to keep buying fuel to refuel the, the bloom box. That's correct. So as long as the fuel prices are lower than the, uh, the fees you would pay the power company for electricity, it makes financial sense to make this investment, especially if, uh, uh, you know, you don't have to, if you have a renewable energy source, because mm -hmm. I have read reports that it could use solar power yeah. to provide the power needed to fuel the fuel cell. I don't know how that works. No, I tried I no finding out where this comes from, because I honestly do not understand how you could create the fuel that has to reform with the water vapor. Right. That I don't understand how that works me. with solar power. But supposedly... It does. At mm -hmm. least that's what the um, the founder who went on 60 Minutes said. Yeah. Um, that that really perplexes me. I honestly don't know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, um, this is uh, this is something that's been in development for about eight years, nine years or so. Um, it's, it's interesting how he came up with the idea. Oh yes, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, the um, the fellow who who came up with this technology was originally working on, uh, and it's a uh, uh, K.R. Uh, Sridhar. Yes. And mm -hmm. I probably butchered that name, and I apologize, because, again, I have terrible times with names. Mm -hmm. But um, he was working on a project with uh, with NASA. Yes. It was a Mars project, you know, trying to figure out the technical problems around getting a human being to Mars. And one of those is how do you carry enough oxygen to last for the entire trip? Mm -hmm. And more importantly, how do you continue to make oxygen once you get there? Right. 
So he, he seems was problematic. Working, right. So he was working on a way of generating oxygen. Uh, when that project fell through, he decided instead of just saying, oh, well, that was a waste of time, he looked at his research and then said, what if I reversed this process? So instead of generating oxygen, you know, using energy to create oxygen, what if I try and create energy by using oxygen? Mm -hmm. And so the bloom box is reportedly just essentially a reversal of the process that he had been working on for this Mars mission, mm -hmm. which I think is pretty interesting. It's a nice repurposing of technology. Certainly. Um, and... Uh They've already got some some pretty high-end customers, yes, too. Yes, there's um, one that rhymes with Boogle. Yeah. yeah, it's also one that rhymes with Shmibe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, Staples, uh, FedEx, Coca-Cola, eBay, Google, they, these are all Walmart, apparently, yep. is, is working on powering stores with, with the Bloom Energy server. Reportedly, Google was the very first customer purchasing yep. four of these servers for one of their uh, uh, data centers. And I have not heard anything negative about the outcome. Of course, that may be the effect of a very powerful PR effort, but I don't, I don't know. I haven't heard anything positive or negative saying these are the greatest things since uh, sliced bread. Um, I haven't heard anything saying, you know, these things are a piece of junk either. So it, it seems that the, the experiment, if you will, is off to a, a, a decent start. Yeah, I think it's uh, as long as we remember that um, the important thing, I think to remember in this case is that the fuel. Yeah, it is. It is based on fuel. It's not. Some people were thinking of it as some sort of weird free energy device. Right. Like there was this this box you would hook it up to your house and it would magically produce electricity. Right. Um, and and that just comes from a misunderstanding of how fuel cells work. It's it's ignoring the fuel in fuel cell. Mm -hmm. So uh, keeping in mind that this is something where you have to refuel it either with natural gas or, or biogas um, or apparently solar power, though I still don't understand how that works. Uh, <laughs> if you keep that in mind, then it may very well be a, a, a nice step. It's still not, it's not, it's not necessarily as green a uh, response as say finding a renewable energy source mm -hmm. and powering your business with that. But even that has its problems, right? Yep. Because these renewable energy sources the source is clean, but the devices we use to harness it are not. Yeah. Because we've talked about that with solar panels and with even the the turbines that we use to gather wind energy. Mm -hmm. uh, these rely on very scarce materials, some of which are toxic in nature. Yes. So yes. it's... Um, you know, this is a, this is one of those tough things, right? You know, you sit there and try and figure out what's the best option out of all the things that we have available to us. Yeah, not everyone can park their giant data center on the shore of the on the banks of the Columbia River and harness the uh, water power, or plan a waterborne data center that harnesses the tides itself to create power. Now, that's pretty nifty. You haven't, uh, yeah, the the um. The patent for that, Google filed a patent for that, a floating <laughs> data center. It's actually really kind of fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like to think of the IT specialist station on there as walking around with peg legs and saying R a lot. <laughs> uh, Patchy, get down there and swap out this hard drive. Um, Yar, so this, this here server needs a patch. <laughs> Ow. Um so, but yes, uh, that's that's what they've they've started with. Although um, I did find uh, an article in Fast Company mm -hmm. uh, from September 20th of this year by Ariel Schwartz, mm. uh, tech journalist. 
And um, Ariel said that Bloom Energy is, in fact, working on a home version of the unit, which I uh, I, had, I remember hearing, but I'm glad I found a source for it. It would cost, according uh, to Ms. Schwartz, about $3,000, um, and they expect to release it in the near future. I don't know what the near future specifically means. Right. But I do believe that they are working on something. You could use this, uh, uh, you know, a larger box, the ones that, that – um, uh, power the uh, industrial facilities to to harness that in a local setting. But if you wanted one to hook up to your house, you know, there is an option for that supposedly coming in the future. And by the way, uh, Bloom Energy refers to this as distributed generation. Yeah. And they're saying that this is a much more uh, secure method of, of generating electricity. Of course, uh, the Power outages in the grid in the northeastern United States illustrate the problems that can come from relying on such a widespread grid. There have also been some very famous ones in California. Oh, yes, yes. Um, so this could be a kind of an answer to that yeah, if it, people it, adopt it and if, it, if it's as successful and, and as efficient as it seems to be. Yeah, and the executives at Bloom Energy have even said that the – uh, the power companies themselves might invest in this, and as you were saying, create neighborhood networks. Yeah, where each neighborhood has its own Bloom Energy server that's owned by the power company. Mm-hmm. So you're still getting your electricity from the power company. It's just instead of getting it from a coal-burning facility that is, you know, generating the power, you'd be getting it from a a, a Bloom Energy server right. owned by that company. So it'll that's be interesting. interesting to see. Yeah, I, I think um, I think as far as reducing emissions. It's potentially uh, a, a great thing. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it will make financial sense to move to that. See, that, that's the problem is that sometimes what makes sense financially, uh, unfortunately, does not measure up with what makes sense in every other sense of the word. Right, and of course, as we know, as we know, um, you know, the box is running on natural gas. Uh, fossil fuels are finite. Yep. So we although would need- biogas, I mean that that's a little. No, I'm sure we could probably find some methane somewhere around here. I'm not saying. Don't don't make comments about Josh. It's not his fault. <laughs> I didn't name names. You're the one who brought them up. Shouldn't have had that chili. Anyway, but no, I, I do think that that would be an option. But uh, you know, it's going to need to be flexible. And apparently, uh, it seems that Bloom Energy has taken that into account. Yeah. So uh, maybe uh, facilities located near landfills, which are generating methane, and boy, howdy, do they. Um, <laughs> I used to play disc golf at a park that was next to a landfill, and they had those, you know, the pipes where they vent the gas. Well, let's be fair. Methane itself, before anyone writes in, is has no odor. No. On its own. But it does come with some other stuff that does. Yes. Yes. The, the methane that you're familiar with, the odor comes from either other materials, or it's an odor that has specifically been included by the gas company so that if there were a gas leak, mm-hmm. you would be able to detect it. Yes. And we are aware of that, so please don't email us. Yes, good old CH4. All right, so anyway, let's wrap this up. This was demystifying the bloom box. If you guys have a particular topic you would like us to demystify, so it's really kind of exploring something and, and discussing how it really works um, let us know. Uh, one of the things we were talking about possibly tackling in the future is, for example, the Segway. Yes. So uh, if you have a, a, a topic that you would like us to demystify, let us know on either Twitter or Facebook. Our handle there is TechStuffHSW. Or you can shoot us an email at TechStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. 
more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks.com iPhone app is coming soon. Get access to our content in a new way. Articles, videos, and more all on the go. Check out the latest podcasts and blog posts and see what we're saying on Facebook and Twitter. Coming soon to iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.